Welcome to the Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. Well, welcome to Keys of the Kingdom. I'm Brother Gregory, and again, we're going to be talking about the kingdom of God, and uh, we're going to be doing it by examining Matthew 14, 15, 16. We've done 14 uh, up to that point, but uh, it's important to understand exactly what was going on in Judea at the time that John the Baptist Christ showed up. And we've, we've gone over a great deal of the detail, but every time we go into a new chapter, because of the fact that there is so much misinformation out there, or lack of information out there, about the actual conditions at the time of Jesus Christ, that when you just read a cold reading of the Bible, because of that misinformation or, uh, misrepresentation or confusion about what was going on, you can misinterpret what you're reading because of those preconceived notions, either from incorrect information or lack of information or lack of perspective about who you're reading about, what you're reading about, what was going on. And, of course, you can take this misinterpretation or misconception or uh, false impression of the New Testament because we already had a false impression of the Old Testament. And the reason we had a false impression of the Old Testament is much to do with the Pharisees and Sadducees at the time of Christ. Because they had an interpretation of the Old Testament that was wrong. They thought they knew Moses. They did not. They thought they knew Abraham. They did not. They thought they knew the prophets. They did not, according to Jesus. Now, according to the Pharisees, they did. They did know. But what didn't they know? What What was the conflict between Jesus and the Pharisees? Between John the Baptist and the Pharisees? What was John the Baptist saying and doing that was contrary to what the Pharisees were doing and saying? What was the Pharisees agreeing with that John the Baptist disagreed with? Well, the Pharisees, along with the assistance of Herod and with the blessing of the Roman Empire, had instituted a system of Corbin that was making the word of God to none effect. Well, it's very easy to determine that the word Corbin means sacrifice. So it was a system of sacrifice that was making the word of God to none effect. So what was wrong with their sacrifice? And what was their sacrifice for? Well, if you don't understand that the altars of Abraham were a system of social welfare to take care of the needy of societies, to bind the people together with faith, hope, and charity because it was a social safety net. The sacrifices 
were going to the stones of the altar and the stones of the altar was a council of men. And we've explained all this. You can read the articles on altars. Altars of clay and stone. What was, what were those representing? Now they might have actually occasionally built altars of stone to represent the stones, the living stones of the altars of Abraham and Moses. And those living stones would receive the free will contributions of the people, the free sacrifices of the people. And they would redistribute what they received from house to house, rightly divide what they received from house to house to take care of the needy of society. And because they were organized in a network, which we see going all the way back to prior Nimrod in history, a network of ten families gathering together and then ten groups of these ten families gathering together and creating a network of communication, just like you see in computers, (laughs) that, that you call it the net. And, you know, that's that's what it was, was a network. And the kingdom of heaven is like a net, which we saw in the parables that we just studied. The kingdom of heaven is like a net. And and we saw, John, uh, we saw Moses organizing the people in the tens, hundreds, and thousands to take care of the judiciary of the government of the kingdom of God that Moses was setting up with the Israelites. Where they would sit down and decide fact and law. And they used as a reference the statutes of Moses, which were the precedents at which they began, the principles at which they began. Because they had the Ten Commandments, the Ten Statements, the Ten Laws, expressing how the government of God worked. How the universe worked. What right reason was. And of course, now today, most people look at the Ten Commandments and they have a pretty good idea. You know, don't kill. Don't murder anyway. Don't rob your neighbor. Don't bear false witness against your neighbor that causes your neighbor to be uh, to lose. I mean, there's a there's a case going on in courts against Donald Trump. Because he supposedly misrepresented the value of his property. Supposedly. There's there's a huge debate about this. And it, it, the numbers go all over the place. And they can't all be right. But the reality is, is that he was only representing that to fiduciaries of banks. And they came in with their own appraisal and they thought that it was adequate value. And they loaned him the money. And he paid it back. According to the contract. And everybody was happy. But somebody else says, well, but he lied. But the people involved, they didn't care. They were happy. They were satisfied. They were content with the process. But because, you know, it used to be that if you committed a crime against somebody, you know, that, that your, your system, your legal system would have to come and say, to the victim, you know, which, you know, if they murdered somebody, they would actually go to the family of the victim. And they would say, 
Do you want to press charges? You know, because he hit you or he damaged your property. He injured you. If they press charges, then the DA would supposedly take your affidavit that you are saying that you were violated, your rights were violated, and take that person to court. That's the way it worked. But then we slowly crept away from that, and before you know it, the DA is deciding to prosecute according to what he thinks was an offense. That's not the way it was originally in America. Well, how did they get the power to do that? Well, of course, the state became the father of the people. The the people became human resources. They became property of the state. And, and we go through this whole process in, in books that we have free online, hundreds of articles that you can see. And, of course, this was predicted by Peter, who was an apostle, first a disciple, then an apostle of Jesus Christ. And we will be getting into you know, exactly what role Peter played when we get into chapter 16 of Matthew. And we're going to drop little hints. We have been already, and we're going to drop little hints along the way so that you are prepared to understand what is being told to Peter and what it meant. And if if you've misunderstood that, you need to rearrange your thinking so you have a clear view of what John the Baptist, Jesus Christ, the apostles, Paul, were really telling the people and what the early Christians were really doing. Because what the Pharisees were doing with their sacrifice that was altered from what it was originally intended to be because now this sacrifice was now making the word of God to none effect And originally, the sacrifice, the Corbin of the people, was making the word of God to effect. And what John the Baptist was trying to do is get the people back to a place where they were doing it the way that God said we needed to do it in order to receive the blessings of God. The blessings of the universal creator of heaven and earth. This force, this divine spiritual voice that comes from outside of our physical plane and reveals things to us so that we are not just bags of carbon and chemicals reacting on the face of the earth based on our emotions and our secretion of hormones and all these things that the evolutionist wants you to think that you are. That... There must be something additional other than just chemical reactions that produces mankind. That, that to some people is obvious and to other people it is not. So what happens to people where they know it's no longer obvious to them? Over the centuries, people have always realized there's something more going on. Men a lot smarter than me who figured out all kinds of things and, you know, calculated all kinds of things about the universe and could know ten languages and have memories that could memorize whole books and everything. A lot smarter than me. They thought that God existed. And that there was this divine or spiritual or quantum, you know, or 
Chi, you know, if you go to a different countries, they have different languages, but they realize there's something more out there. And they're trying to figure out what it is, and they put labels on it to try to uh, talk about this thing that is outside of their physical reality. And they see patterns, that if we go this way, this happens, if we go that way, that happens. And John the Baptist is saying, we need to go the way of the kingdom of God, the kingdom of the creator, the creator, this divine force that is moving, it brings about all the living creatures of the world in which we live, all the plants, all the animals, that balances out this precarious thing we call life on this planet, floating in the ether of space how does this work everybody's wondering this when they gaze up at the stars and the moon and the and the planets at night they wonder you know what this is unbelievable and i see it i feel it i smell it i touch it i live on it and i can re- reproduce the next generation i will dwindle and go away but i can reproduce the next generation amazing But are there rules? Are there precepts that we violate? And this is what the Bible is all about. But if you're not willing to see them, the Bible may become very complicated or you may make it very simple that all you have to do is think a thought and everything will work out. All you have to do is believe an idea and everything will work out. But that's not what the Bible says. Oh, you can find things that kind of seem like they're saying that. But you have to leave out all kinds of statements made by people like John the Baptist. So John the Baptist came preaching the kingdom of God. And he said, you know, when they asked him, how does it work? He says, you have two coats and your neighbor doesn't have one? Share. Was that what Herod was doing? Is that what the Pharisees were doing? Is that what Caesar was doing? No. If they didn't have enough to share, they took it from somebody else. They took it from the Gauls. They took it from the people who lived in Libya, you know, the Carthaginians. Or they took it from somebody else. Or Corinth. When they went and attacked Corinth, they leveled it. They took every gold, every silver, every precious thing. They killed all the men. They sold all the women and children into slavery. They did the same thing in Gaul. And then what what did they do with that money? Well, I don't know with Corinth, but I do know with the Gauls. They gave it to their temples to take care of the needy of society. Because that's what religion was. That was how you took care of the needy of your society. And you formulated a means and a method to do this based on your idea of what God wanted you to do. Well, John the Baptist's idea of what God wanted you to do was different than that of the Pharisees. And the question is, is it different than what you think God wants you to do? Does God want you to take care of one another through charity? Or does God want you to take care of one another through force? 
Because John the Baptist said it was charity. Jesus said it was charity. He used the word that we see translated into love, but the same word is translated into charity. For people who have already consented to the idea that force exercising authority one over the other is okay to do to take from one group to provide for another, which is a common idea accepted today and was a common idea accepted by some at the time of Christ, is contrary to the teachings of John the Baptist. And so John the Baptist was beheaded and Christ was hailed as king by the people. But the people in power, the priests who ran the system of social welfare, the Corbin of the Pharisees. They hated Jesus. They wanted to kill him. Because they did not want to admit that I'm not following the God of heaven. I'm not following the God of Moses. The God of Abraham. Because I have resorted to forcing my neighbor to contribute to my welfare. By men who exercise authority. I don't actually go to my neighbor's house and extract his donations. His contributions. I vote for a government that will do it. I want a benevolent government. You know, like some people will shifted their vote from Saul to David. <laughs> and there had to be a kind of a revolution. But David would not kill Saul. He would defend himself. He went cornered by the troops of Saul. But he would not kill Saul. He could have, but he would not do it. Now, today we see conflicts in the Middle East. Where people went over and killed innocent people in one country. And now they say they have a right to defend themselves. And now they're going over to the place where these bad men came from. And people are getting killed. Now, they do have a right to defend themselves. But are they moving with the wisdom of David? Or are they moving with anger and vengeance? And that's probably on an individual basis. But the fact is we won't see the solution of righteousness if we're not living righteousness today. If we're living in darkness. If we refuse to see that exercising authority one over the other, forcing the contributions of our neighbor, blinds us to the truth of the way of Abraham, the way of Moses, the way of John the Baptist, the way of Jesus Christ. We behead ourselves. We cut ourselves off from that which will allow us to see. And our hearts are hardened. And we degenerate the social bonds of the righteousness of God. Of the kingdom of God. And this is what all the gospel is talking about. And we will show you verse after verse after verse that corroborates that idea from the beginning to the end of the Bible. But many people have not seen it. And many people will not want to see what we're sharing with you. And we can pray for them. 
and pray for one another that they will see it. But they will only see it as God awakens them, as he writes upon their hearts and their minds. But I'm going to give you information that will maybe help you set down some of the ideas that have been placed in you by people who are blind to the truth of the gospel, of to the benevolence of the Creator. And he, he has told us this over and over again, like I say, and we'll quote Lamentations, we'll quote numerous of the old prophets, and relate them to what is going on at the time of the gospel. So John the Baptist is dead by the time we get into uh, Matthew 15. And Matthew 15, you know, is talking about their traditions and commandments. And we have to find out what traditions are, what are commandments. And, of course, we've laid the groundwork for that for, for those who have been listening right along, that these traditions are the paradosis. And there's also something called the pater paradosis that is mentioned in the Bible. In Peter, the, and, and find out what the the paradosis is. These traditions, which are sometimes translated ordinances, and uh, they talk about this right away in Matthew 15, and they, they begin with, "Then came to Jesus scribes and Pharisees." Who have the wrong idea. Now, there might be some scribes and Pharisees that are starting to figure this out. And we'll see that as we go through Matthew. That even some of the Sanhedrin, that is is a new Sanhedrin that was replaced. Replacing the Sanhedrin that was in conflict before John the Baptist. And walked out because of the corruption. Probably around the time of Zechariah's murder. And saw the influence and what what was that corruption? Well, they were more interested in wealth and money and power. Because if we go back and we have gone back and shown you, you know, how the Sanhedrin went from an advisory council to a legislative body uh, under the rule of a woman. In Judea. And then now, as because it went from representatives of God and man, God first and then man, to legislators making laws for the people. What was going on? How was this? This was a step-by-step process. Changing the relationship of the people of Judea with their government. And therefore with their God. Because we know we're supposed to give to God what is God and to Caesar what is Caesar's. So that now the question comes up. Jesus often does this. He creates a quandary. What belongs to Caesar and what belongs to God? And a lot of people will say, well, you know, I will do what Caesar says until he tells us to do something that is against God. Well, coveting your neighbor's goods through men who exercise authority, is not only against God the Father from the beginning. Covetousness is part of those ten laws. Those ten statements. You're not supposed to covet your neighbor's goods. Whether it's the neighbor down the street or your neighbor on the other side of the Rhone or the Rhine rivers. You're not to covet what they have. You're not to desire what they have for your personal benefit. You're not to do that. 
But now it's okay. But anyway, we'll be right back to Keys of the Kingdom and we'll get into 15. Well, welcome back to Keys of the Kingdom. And we're in Matthew 15. And you can go to preparingyou.com and follow along. Or you can follow along in your own. We use the King James Bible. And uh, you can follow along there, or if you can use any Bible you want, because most of them are pretty much the same coverage. There'll be a few verses missing here and there in other Bibles. But uh, there's enough message in almost any Bible <laughs> if you read it with the Holy Spirit. Because it's the Holy Spirit that is going to reveal to you what was already revealed to the author's. Now, the same thing that was revealed to the authors was also revealed to the people who have come along and tried to translate the Bible. But they didn't all listen to what was being revealed to them. This is the problem. God is speaking to us all, all the time. But we're not all listening. We're not all looking. You will only hear if you have ears to hear. And you will only see when you have eyes to see. And those eyes are given to you by the same creator. And he's wanting to give them to all of you. But if you reject some of the truth, you will live in darkness. Because the truth is light. That's the the equated concept we constantly see. The truth is light. I am the light. Jesus says, I am the truth. I am the way. But if we reject part of the light, we part of the truth, part of the way, we don't walk that way, we won't see what we need to see. We have to not only know what it is that we should be to do, we need to actually do it. Because that's the walking that way. It's that it's like you, you think you've made it because you're in the garden and things are comfortable and there's lots to eat and everything, you know, the, it's not too cold, not too hot. And you think, well, great. You ask, somebody asks you, where's the Lord? And I don't know. He's around here somewhere. I don't walk with him. I can't hang out over here. <laughs> no, you have to walk with him and and constantly return to that tree of life to receive revelation from moment to moment. You get the choice as to eat of the tree of life or to eat of the tree of your own personal knowledge. But if you choose the latter, you will lose the wisdom of God because you're just not that smart. (laughs) Okay. So anyway, like we said, we're starting here in Matthew 15. Then came Jesus to Jesus, scribes and Pharisees, which were of Jerusalem, saying, Why do thy disciples transgress the tradition of the elders? For they wash not their hands when they eat bread. Now we know that they have, they came to John the Baptist as well, and they were tempting John the Baptist. They were tempting Jesus Christ tried to figure out and they were already plotting how can we get rid of this guy because he's starting to make us look bad. 
Because we have a system of social welfare that is centered around the temple. And all the synagogues of Judea, and even the synagogues outside of Judea, throughout the Roman Empire, sign up with the temple. Which means that they collect their tithes based on this system of Corbin that requires people to have scribes who are accountants and lawyers. And those scribes go about and find out what you owe and make sure you pay it. Because they don't want anybody left behind and not pay. It's it's free will to sign up, but once you sign up, you have to pay in. Caesar has the same system. If you sign up for his benefaction, for his protection, then you owe Caesar based on the terms of that signing. If you owe the United States, it's based on the terms of what you have signed and and maybe what your parents have signed before you. Because everybody who was in the bondage of Egypt were in the bondage of Egypt because of the agreement that the 11 brothers made with Egypt so that they could get through the depression, through the famine. The Pharaoh said, yeah, I'll feed you. Yeah, I, I see you're out of things to trade for grain. You're out of grain. You're gonna, you know, you're out of wealth. And, and you're gonna starve. Or you're gonna be, gonna get seriously thin. <laughs> Whatever. And, uh, I will feed you, cause I've, I've stored up all this food and grain. I will feed you, but we gotta make a deal. 20% of your labor now belongs to me. 20% of what you produce in a given year belongs to me. If you produce 100 bricks, I get 20 of them. If you produce, you know, 100 bushels of wheat, I get 20 of those bushels. But I'll feed you today. But you'll owe me. You'll become a surety to me that I, I know I will get paid back. But that grain will go into the temples, into the royal temples. I'll, I will take some. And the royal temples and the priests who run the temples will take some. And we will have that grain in case there's another famine. Because this was a problem in Egypt. When the floods came, all everything grew. And the floods came regularly. Sometimes they didn't come as well. You know, the floods came, but... They didn't bring down quite as much water. So they created, you know, aqueducts and they created these places that would turn the water out into the desert. And so even when they had a poor show of the Nile River, they could still send water out and take care of the crops. But of course, that took labor to build those. And they did that, though. But all of Egypt went under this system where a percentage of their labor belong to the government of Pharaoh. And that was the bondage of Egypt. When Moses took them out, he, he wrote down, we were never to go back that way again. We never do anything. And if we even were to, like, elect a king, he writes down in Deuteronomy 17, you know, write this down 
so that you can read it to your king every day, so that he does nothing to return you to the bondage of Egypt where a portion of your labor belongs to the government. And and that was to be written in your constitution. And that, that constitution was to be read every day to your king, your your leader, your ruler. By your priests, who normally are the ones who divide what is given from house to house to make sure that nobody is neglected. No widow starves. No person dies in their apartment. In order for them to do that job, they needed to be organized on a very localized level. And of course, they still did that in Herod's time. All the synagogues were ten families. That's just a matter of history. But the synagogues that signed up for the system of social welfare run through the temple that was built by Herod were expected, required by statutes to pay in to their system. Just like Rome was now doing. Rome didn't always do that. But Rome started doing that. And of course they started doing that because Caesar Julius brought in all kinds of gold and silver and money by killing most of the Gauls and selling their wives and children into bondage. And the people said, that's okay. I mean, what is Gaul to us? You know, yeah, it's a neighbor, but they're a long ways off. I'm not worried about that. But it it set a precedent in the mind of the Romans where now they couldn't look at anything that would bring them into guilt. This is what's wrong with the scribes and the Pharisees that have come out from Jerusalem, the seat of corruption. Peter will later tell Jesus, don't go to Jerusalem, they'll kill you. And of course, John the Baptist wasn't going to Jerusalem. He was out. He'd moved the laver that had been by the temple of Herod and he'd moved it out symbolically, to the Jordan River. He was baptizing people in the Jordan River and Herod was baptizing people at the laver of the temple. And people were taking vows when they did this that they will now pay in to the temple a portion of their labor. You know, whatever they produced with their labor. And this was the system that was going on. And now Jesus is being questioned because the apostles weren't washing their hands when they eat bread. Well, now we might need to go look at leaven. What is leaven? Was there leaven in the bread that the Pharisees were eating? Because Jesus says later, you know, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. And you know, even his apostles, they're thinking like, is he saying this because we didn't bring bread? No. You think I'm talking about yeast leaven? <laughs> no, I'm not talking about yeast leaven. I'm talking about cruelty in their bread. And of course now, if you go read our article on leaven, you go read our article, you know, when they mention the leaven Back in Egypt, you you might be surprised to know that leaven, the same word for leaven, also means cruelty. 
because you had to get the cruelty out of your bread, out of your social welfare system. And you had to bring mercy into your social welfare system. So that you weren't bankrupting whole companies and whole societies by a system that borrowed against the future, that forced the offerings of the people. I could tell you all kinds of stories, but we won't get to this. <laughs> so we'll move down. But this is this is playing out in countries all over the world and it's magnified by the shutdowns we experienced in the last few years. Which may have been for that purpose. Because the disease you have to worry about is the disease of selfishness. So anyway, they're not really so concerned about washing hands. They're trying to find fault and point out something wrong with Jesus. But he just moves the subject right over to something else. It seems to be completely unrelated. But is it? He says in verse 3, But he answered and said unto them, because he knew what they were doing. We've already seen that. He knew that they were trying to trap him. Why do ye also transgress the commandment? So he's turning it back on them. The commandment of God. By your traditions. And he uses the same word, traditions. Paradosis. And he goes in verse 4. For God commanded saying, Honor thy father and thy mother. And he that curseth father and mother, let him die the death. But you say, Whoever shall say to his father or his mother, It is a gift by whatsoever thou mightest be profited by me. He's saying that that whatever gift that you might have gotten from me been profited by me. I don't have any more. I've already given it as a gift. That's what he's saying. This this is going to come up again. And and we need to but it, it will use that word and Mark talks about it. And he uses this same word that we see as gift, Doron. But he says he says that Doron, this gift, is like the Corbin. The Corbin is the Doron. The Doron is the Corbin. Corbin is the sacrifice. It is the Hebrew word for sacrifice. Doron is a Greek word, which means a gift, something presented, a present, a gift offered in expression of honor and sacrifice. And other gifts offered to God. Or money cast into the treasury. For the purposes of the temple. And for the support of the poor. Because why? Because religion is how you take care of the needy of society. You know, the widows and orphans and needy of society. That's what religion is. And James will tell us that. Pure religion is when you do this unspotted by the world. And he uses the word that means constitutional order or system of government. Because the constitutional orders and systems of government at that time did not follow the pattern laid down in Deuteronomy 17. 
they they were systems of sacrifice that brought you back into the bondage of Egypt where your sacrifice was compelled where you were in bondage you had to pay in and of course once you have that system then the men in power over that system can become more and more dictatorial and you will become weaker and weaker and not be able to do anything about it I mean they will be telling you to do all kinds of things you have to work all day but you have to work all day with a mask on <laughs> and you'll you'll complain and you'll you'll when they're not looking you'll pull down your mask and you know you'll step out of the circle but you're still in bondage and you don't know how to do anything about it because you're a scattered flock and you're a scattered flock because you were not taking care of one another through faith hope and charity which is what John the Baptist was trying to get you to do that, you know, share what you have with others and do it in an organized fashion. I mean, John the Baptist knew that Israel was organized in the tens, hundreds, and thousands. Even the Parthians were still organized in the tens, hundreds, and thousands. Over the next hundred years, they would become more like an empire, more like Rome, and depend upon a central leader. Even the Teutons, who were organized in the tens, hundreds, and thousands, they would, they were able to muster an army overnight that could stop the Roman legions. But then some of them got the idea, well, let's, let's be like Rome more. Let's have an emperor. Let's have a commander in chief who will fight our battles for us. And he will command us from the top down. Not like Gideon. Gideon said, well, I'll be your commander in chief, but I and my family, we will not rule over you. A common theme. Moses did not want to rule over the people. He was constantly giving them back their responsibilities for taking care of one another, helping out the needy, uh, not forcing the contributions of the people, returning the courts to the people. So you, you couldn't prosecute anybody without a victim. You had to have a victim. Because the purpose of the law was to protect the victim from abuse. Not to become the abuse and make victims out of the innocent. Because they have already killed the spirit of justice because they tried to keep the letter of the law. And this, of course, is what the scribes and Pharisees were doing. They had, But they had created more law because they had turned the Sanhedrin into a legislator who were lawmakers now. They weren't representatives. They were lawmakers. And they had the right to do that because the people were now eating at the table of the Pharisees, which meant they were eating at the table of Herod, which meant they were eating at the table of a ruler. And they liked the dainties of Herod. And the dainties of these rulers. And it was causing them to do no more ought for their parents. And if their parents said, you know, what I'm getting from the temple is not enough. They said, but I've already given to the temple. What I was going to give to you, I've already given to the temple. And Mark will say, and Jesus will say in Mark. Causing the young men to do no more ought for their parents. This is, this is happening today been happening for decades now 
And now the system of the treasury of the systems of the world in almost every country are bankrupt. They they owe more than they have in their treasury. And so they have to decrease the benefits to your parents. The Medicare, Medicaid in America, that's what we have other countries. Call it by other names. But it's government welfare, legal charity coming from the government. It's being reduced and reduced and hospitals are closing and healthcare centers are closing and social security payments aren't enough to even pay your rent. And people keep looking to the same government that brought them into bondage. Israelites, when they were in the bondage of Egypt, they had to stop looking to Pharaoh because Pharaoh cut them off. No more straw for you guys. Still owe your tally of bricks, but I'm not going to help you out anymore. But that was an opportunity. And Moses said, yeah, we got to take care of one another. They were starting to learn the way of the king. They had to go back to the way of the king. It was not easy. But it was important. We're coming on the same situation at the time of Jesus Christ because the people had, were going back into the bondage of Egypt with the Corban of the Pharisees. Or even the Romans were doing the same thing with the Corban of the Romans. They had that word Corban over there too. You'll find it in the Koran. They spell it slightly different, but it's the same, same idea. It's the system of social welfare. It's your public religion. It's how you take care of the needy through the constitutional orders and systems of government. Which were not, originally in America, was not originally designed to do this, but there is the contract clause where you can make agreements with the agencies created by the government and corporations created by the government that at one time did not have the power they have in America, but Thanks to amendment, now corporations are perpetual people. Go read our article on corporations. Go read our article on Golem. Find out what what was the Golem created by clay, this clay monster that could not die and march around having its way with the world. Well, that's corporations. Now, corporations in themselves are not evil. But if you give them too much power, evil can use them. And manipulate them. And that's not all they can manipulate. But Jesus was in a more primitive society. Not as primitive as you think. I mean, it was a complex society. I mean, they had bookkeepers. They had laws. They had uh, accounting. They had a complex system of taxation. But they also had that same kind of system, but a different means and method in early Israel. Something changed from early Israel to Israel under Saul and David, Rehoboam. And it got worse and worse under Solomon. And the people were going back into the Corvi system of statutory labor under Solomon. And then, then, of course, they went into captivity and they were back into bondage again. In and out, back and forth. This constant war. Same war we see at the time of Christ. Same war we see today. And the bad guys look like they're winning. But the bad guys will never win against the good guys. You just got to make sure that you're on the good guy's side. (laughs) And this is what 
they're trying to tell you in the gospel. And when they try to talk about traditions of not washing your hands, he goes right away to honor thy father and thy mother and uses this word gift, Doron, which later Mark says Doron is Corbin. Corbin is Doron. Because they have instituted a system of social welfare run through the temple that is making the word of God the none effect. And he's telling you that sons are not doing what they should be doing for their parents. Because they said, well, I've already given to the temple. You just got to go to the temple. And this is why Christians later on will see in John and in Matthew and Mark that Christians are afraid of being, not Christians, but followers of Christ. They weren't called Christians yet. Jews who were following the way of Christ were sometimes afraid to admit that because they would be kicked out of the temple system set up by Herod and the Pharisees. But of course, the Israelites were kicked out of Egypt too. And when they were kicked out of Egypt, they didn't have to bomb or invade Egypt or kill Egyptians as long as they walked in the way that Moses was teaching them. Unfortunately today, most people don't know the way that Moses was teaching. Well, it begins with honor thy father and thy mother. And you're not free, no matter what your traditions are. But we'll have to get into this hot and heavy in the second half of Keys of the Kingdom after another brief break. Be right back. Well, welcome back to Keys of the Kingdom. So, we're looking at this Matthew 15. We're seeing that they're trying to trap him into some sort of violation of the law, that they're they're not following the traditions of the elders. And they seem to be picking something very benign, like washing your hands, like, you know, when you go to eat bread. But he talks about the bread they're eating, that they are transgressing an even more important tradition. They're transgressing God's commandments to honor thy father and thy mother, which is a commandment to the individual. To honor thy father and thy mother. To take care of. Honor means to fatten. The word that we see there in the Hebrew. Honor means to fatten. To provide for. To take care of. Because your parents get old. And it's your job to take care of them. To provide for them. So that they don't have to go to men who call themselves benefactors, but exercise authority one over the other. They don't have to engage in covetous practices. But at that time, men were saying, you know, I I give a gift to the temple, a Doron, a Corbin, a sacrifice to the temple. And that's where you have to go. And they honor not their father and their mother, and they think they're actually free. Well, I paid in. So that's where you go to get your, what, your, your care. That, but it makes the social security system or the socialist system, you know, whatever country you're in, they've all got, you know, social insurance. It makes them, the, the guys who rule those systems, the priests, 
of those systems. That, that is public religion. Thus you have made the commandment of God to none effect by your traditions, using the same word. Again, what does he mean by to none effect? You render it void. You deprive it of force and authority. You take away the power of God because you're not following in the ways of God. And this is what they'll say again in Mark. You read an article on Corbin. To none effect. And and on the page there, if you're at preparingyou.com and you're reading along with us, you'll see that there's a link to the article on Corbin. And that there's actually seven. And, and that we have an article on the Corbin of Christ versus the Corbin of the Pharisees. And he says, ye hypocrites! Well, did Isaiah prophesy of you, saying, This people draweth nigh unto me with their mouth, and honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. Why? Because they have created a system that depended on men who exercised authority one over the other, a system like that of the Gentiles, the other nations like Rome, to take care of the needy of their society through the constitutional order and system of government that they created for themselves. Because pure religion is unspotted by such systems. Because that's what it says. Unspotted by the world, it uses the word world that means constitutional order and system of government. Do you know any country that is doing that today? That is forcing the offerings of the people through men who exercise authority so that you can have free bread? And who is rightly dividing that bread from house to house? Is it your minister in church that says they love Jesus? Or is it your ministers in Rome? Or what we call today Washington, D.C. Or, you know, you can go to all the other different countries and they all have capitals and they all have these same systems today. They didn't always have these systems. Many of these systems started... You know, like in Australia, their system of social welfare, like what, uh, like Farrell's, I said Farrell, like FDR set up, Franklin set up, was started before Franklin set it up in America. They were already doing it in Australia. So they were a little bit farther along, maybe. But what is the real danger? Obviously, it's making the word of God to none effect, but it's making the word of God to none effect in your hearts. Because in your heart, you do not want to see that these systems of legal charity through men who exercise authority is contrary to the doctrine, the sound doctrine of Jesus Christ. And those people who say they love Jesus, say, Lord, Lord, in vain, they do worship me. Teaching for doctrines the commandments of men. And so, that's a, that's a huge indictment. If you look around, all the Protestant churches, all the Catholic churches, all the synagogues, all the mosques, there's almost none of them that don't promote the idea of going to men who exercise authority one over the other to provide for the needy of society through a social safety net based on force, not based on fervent charity. Christ was talking about fervent charity. He was talking about love. Same word for love, same word for charity. 
what I just said is an indictment of all these religions. Except for I have no power to indict. I have no court. But there is a court in heaven. In in the divine realms from which God speaks to us. And from that same realm, he created the universe and created the laws of the universe and created right reason, which is our job to find out what that is. We cannot find out what right reason is by eating of the tree of our own knowledge. We just don't have enough knowledge. But we can be inspired to understand through eating of the tree of life. But to eat of the tree of life, we have to walk into the light and see what we are doing wrong. Verse 10, and he called the multitude and said unto them, hear, hear, and understand. Not that which goeth into the mouth defileth a man, but that which cometh out of the mouth defileth a man. Now, he's explaining what we just talked about, what he was just talking about. They're saying that, you know, you're eating food, with hands that are unclean and this defiles you. And according to germ therapy, that's true. And there is some valid, not therapy, a theory, germ theory, that you can pick up germs and they can have an effect in your body. And, and you know, that's, you know, I've, I've known people who say it doesn't matter, you can drink out of the ditches and all this stuff. And they, when they died, worms are crawling out of their skin. Because they had done this in South America and they had done this in the swamps of uh, one of the central upper states. And they were infested with worms. Now, if we're really walking in the Holy Spirit, I believe that our bodies can be healed. But until we are, we should not be tempting God. And we should realize that, you know, we probably should wash that off before we eat <laughs> And we might, since we were handling this stuff over here, we should be washing our hands. I, I don't know if this is going to bear out or not, but somebody who just, they were staying someplace that they didn't normally stay to take care of some people. And all of a sudden they were breaking out with these bites and they were thinking that something was biting them in their bed at night, but nobody who'd used that bed before had had any problems. And they were thinking like, oh, it's coming from there and they're washing the linen and everything. And they had just come back from Texas. And somebody was relating this story to me. And I said, so they just, and, and so now they have these like little bites all over. And yeah, that's all over. And they thought it was coming from the bedding or, you know, like bed bugs or something in the room. But then they discovered that their daughter who had accompanied them, where, where they were before they came there, they were having the same problem and they weren't sleeping there. So the problem wasn't coming from there. And I says, well, where are they coming from? They said, Texas. I said, they got chiggers. Because I know what chiggers are. I just knew it. I, I kind of knew it before I even said it. But when I, I said, where are they coming from? I said, Texas. I said, well, I know Texas. They got chiggers. But they were sure that the problem was coming from over here. Coming from this and coming from that. They brought the problem with them. And there are remedies for that. And there are things to do for that. But, you know, I don't think that Jesus had a problem with chiggers if he went to Texas. <laughs> but uh, you're not Jesus. So don't tempt God. Don't be stupid. Don't get involved in the systems of Corbin of the world. 
that depend on men who exercise authority. Seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Don't seek the covetous practices of the world. This is what John the Baptist is saying. So hear and understand that what defiles you is what comes out of your mouth because it comes out of your heart. Then came his disciples and said unto him, Knowest thou that the Pharisees were offended after they heard this saying? Well, it's easy to offend people who live in darkness. But he answered and said, Every plant which my heavenly Father hath not planted shall be rooted up. We've had the parables, the tares and the wheat. And these are tares. And they can be amongst us. But the Heavenly Father will root them up. Jesus is just speaking the truth. Verse 14, let them alone. They be blind leaders of the blind. Those are people who don't want to get into the light and see that there's something wrong with the idea of coveting your neighbor's goods through the men who exercise authority one over the other. And it was wrong before Jesus said it. It was wrong after Jesus said it. And it doesn't matter whether you read it or not. It's wrong and the Holy Spirit should be telling you that. But if you're not hearing that in your heart or you have difficulty hearing it in your heart now or you're offended by what I say, you have need of repentance. And if the blind lead the blind, both shall fall into the ditch. Today, the world is in the ditch. Israel over there is in a ditch. They have the same system. They were about to collapse economically. And one of their leaders rolled back that system. Just rolled it back. Prosperity returned. Can you imagine if they actually repented of such systems entirely? That is the solution. Because Christ is the solution. The doctrine of Christ, written in your heart and in your mind, is the solution. But you have to accept the whole truth and provide for it. Verse 15, Then answered Peter and said unto him, Declare unto us this parable. And Jesus said, Are you also yet without understanding? A question. So now all those people out there listening to this, and all the people you share this with, are they without understanding too? Are you without understanding? Well, many will be without understanding. And they will be offended. But my intention is not to offend. I don't want to tear down your citadels. I don't want to tear down your churches. I don't want to tear down your leaders. I let the blind lead the blind. But I am to speak the truth of what God has put on my heart. It's freely given to me. I have to freely give it to you. Do not ye yet understand that whatsoever entereth in at the mouth goes into the belly and is cast out in the drought. At least it should. (laughs) Everything's working right. But those things which proceed out of the mouth come forth from the heart. And they defile the man. That word defile, it means pollute. It means, it's translated unclean. 
it's also translated common. But it says to make common, to make Levitically unclean. And of course, what things are unclean? Well, then that's why we did a whole series on Exodus. And we've made references and we will need to go back to Leviticus and we've just mentioned Deuteronomy and this to understand how we're made unclean in this process. How we are altered by this process of not following the righteousness of God and the righteous ways of God. But in order to do that, we need to be willing to see that. In order to see that, our hearts need to be altered. In verse 19, For out of the heart proceed evil thoughts, murder, adulteries, fornication, theft, false witness, blasphemies, and also covetous practices which are often listed with these things, adultery and fornication. I have links there so you can go find out. Most of the adultery mentioned in the Bible is national adultery. Well, how does a nation create adultery? Well, then that gets into what's the harlot? What's the strange woman? What's the strange fire? Because the strange woman and the strange fire is the same thing. It's the same as the harlot. It's the fornication with a system of social welfare that makes the word of God to none effect. These are symbols of adultery. Fornication. These are the things which defile a man. But to eat with unwashed hands defileth not a man. Although I'm not advising you not to wash hands depending on where you've been. <laughs> because you may not be strong enough yet. And you're not to tempt God. You say, well, God will fix everything so I can eat all the cake I want. <laughs> I can just double the frosting on that and, uh, you know, give me a Big Mac and supersize it. And <laughs> No, I would not advise that. You're tempting God. Unless you can walk on water, probably I eat better. And, and avoid the dangers. But fear not. Seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness, which takes us back to what John was saying, takes us back to the, the primary statements coming out of the mouth of Christ. But I want you to understand what the kingdom of God looks like. What the righteousness of God looks like. It does not look like the unrighteousness of the Pharisees. And now you have a little bit better picture of what that looks like. And now you can look around in the world around you and say, is there anything that looks like that? Verse 21, Then Jesus went thence and departed into the coast of Tyre in Sidon. And behold, a woman of Canaan came out of the same coast and cried unto him, saying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, thou son of David. My daughter is grievously vexed with a devil. Some sort of spiritual demonic influence that may be manifesting itself as a disease. We've seen it where they make reference to the people who are blind because of something blocking them. Something living in the darkness of their own heart. Which is an actual possibility. People say, ah, I don't believe in that. Well, you don't have to. But I've seen the evidence of it. 
But I could tell you this. Do you believe that there's such a thing as disease? Do you believe there's such a thing as blindness? Do you believe that there's such a thing as epilepsy? What's the cause? Well, you can try to reduce it all to your science, but even scientists now are beginning to see that there is this mysterious quantum realm. There's these other dimensions that seem to have influence popping in and out of our own. And of course, this is what this is referencing. And you go, we've got lots of articles on that. The mysteries of the universe. But she's saying that her her daughter is vexed, but she's from Canaan. But he answered her, not a word. His disciples came and besought him, saying, send her away, for she crieth after us. But he answered and said, I am not sent, but unto the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Then came she and worshipped him, saying, Lord... Referring to him, you know, his master. Help me. But he answered and said, It is not me to take the children's bread and to cast it to dogs. Now, someone could be offended at that. <laughs> that's, that's pretty rough. Because he's saying it's not right that I take from... I've come for the lost sheep of the house of Israel and now you of the house of Canaan want to receive from me. It's not right that I give to you. Is it? And he gives an example. He didn't say that it's not right for him, but he, he gives this kind of parable way of saying you're not of this house. And he's doing this for a reason. And she said, Truth, Lord. She didn't disagree with him. She agrees with him. She didn't say, I'm not a dog. She says, yet the dogs eat of the crumbs which fall from the master's table. Now, this is an exceptional woman. She's awake. She sees something in what Christ is saying. She has a better understanding of what Christ has been preaching than many of the ministers that are out there in the modern churches of today, in the modern Christian churches of today. She understands what Christ is talking about. And he knows that she understands. And a link in there, table, will take you to our article on table, to know the difference between the master's table and the table of the Pharisees. The table of the rulers of the earth. The table of the fathers of the earth. That's a specific thing. and We need to understand what that thing is. Then Jesus answered and said unto her, O woman, great is thy faith. But it unto thee, even as thou wilt. And her daughter was made whole from that very hour. From that very hour. She was made She wasn't there. Her, her daughter didn't touch the hem of his garment. But like the Roman centurion, it says, you don't have to go to my house. So this is another woman of great faith that knows that Jesus Christ is a conduit from God. She refers to him as Lord. The Pharisees don't see that. And they're the head of the church 
they're sitting in the seat of Moses. And they don't see it. They're plotting to kill him. They don't want to believe what he's telling them. They don't want to believe that he is the son of David. They will want to, they will conspire to kill him. Not the Jews aren't conspiring to kill him. Just some people calling themselves Pharisees and maybe some Sadducees and men who are sitting in seats of power that should not be seats of power. If they were really sitting in the seat of Moses like Moses, they would be returning the power to the people. They wouldn't be returning the people to the bondage of Egypt. But see, most of the ministers today, most of the governors and rulers today are returning the people to the bondage of Egypt and running up debt, cursing your children. And you're letting them do it because you don't have eyes to see and ears to hear. And you are willing to seek after the free bread of Caesar. At the expense of Gauls or at the expense of your neighbor. He's on another block. I don't really know. He doesn't go to my church. He's a Democrat. He's a Republican. He's on the left. He's on the right. So we can take from him. Because you don't love your neighbor. And that defiles you. But now you say to me, well, I do love my neighbor. Let's see you walk the walk. Let's see you do what we see the early church doing. What we're going to see Christ telling them to do. We already see him telling this. John the Baptist was telling. Are you taking care of all the needy in your church? In your synagogue? Through faith, hope, and charity? Or are you dependent upon men who exercise authority? Are you going to the table of Caesar and saying, Caesar, can you take care of these people in our church? Can you take care of my parents? For me? Now, right now, you say, well, I can't do it. I can't meet the, the, their expenses. I can't. Well, you may have to move in together. <laughs> but the reality is, you know that the unrighteous mammon, the system of social welfare through treasuries, even though they're bankrupt, is decaying. It is crumbling. It is faltering. It is falling to pieces. And it's failing. Well, now you need to step up. And the sooner you step up, the more God will bless you. But we'll have to finish this up in a moment on Keys of the Kingdom. Well, welcome back to Keys of the Kingdom. So, the Canaanite woman was tested by Jesus He tested her resolve. Partially, you know, he probably didn't need to test it. But it was a witness to her. But it was also a witness to his apostles. And to those people round about. And of course, now Matthew records it. And tells us the story. Jesus probably knew when she came up that he was going to heal her daughter. But he required that she go through the process of being challenged in her faith. And so it will be with you. You have no idea how much God is already working in your life. But he's not going to make it so easy for you all the time. Because that makes you weak. Now the governments of the world, they will try to make it easy for you for a long time. They'll take care of your parents for you. They'll, they'll build hospitals for you. They'll, they'll fund those hospitals for you. 
Now, I've known for years a lot of those hospitals have not always been doing the best thing for people. And the, and we know this just historically, the health of American people has gone down and down and down and down. You can just watch these old videos that they made back in, in 1906, you know, going down the streets of San Francisco on a trolley car. And you watch all the people walking by. They're all healthy, long strides, strong, slam. You can see protesters in 1920s, you know, uh, in Chicago. Everybody, you know, all the people are, are slim, trim, well-dressed, standing straight. Look, look, the picture of health. I mean, some are older and, and they show a sign of hard work, but they're... You know, we have a neighbor who just moved back here. His daughter's taking care of him. He's in his 90s. She says, I have to watch him all the time. We think, okay, is he having difficulty? No, he's always out. You know, he's putting up plywood the other day and fixing stuff, <laughs> repairing and everything. He's 90. He's supposed to be taking it easy. He can't take it easy. You know, he used to be the greater man out here. He used to run the greater. A remarkable individual. But he, he was bow-legged. From all the horseback riding he had done. And of course he's 90. So he was doing that for a long time. <laughs> but uh, yeah, he's staying active. He, he's a worker. He's industrious. And he's got a remarkable heart too. But of course that's probably why he's 90. <laughs> so anyway. Now Jesus is dealing with this the woman from Canaan. And he heals her daughter. She needed help. But she she had to walk in faith. She had to, you know, forgive, not be offended, accept the fact that she could not fix this. But she believed the power of God could fix this. But it was actual, the real Christ. It wasn't a, the Christ that was a figment of her imagination. It wasn't the preachers who say, well, it's okay. To covet thy neighbor's goods. But like I said, these, these hospitals that are closing down all over, we, we just discussed this with the local ministers and our minister groups and we discussed this with, uh, other people and, and with people in government that are dealing with this in small communities. Though what they call small communities were way smaller than the ones they're talking about. The hospitals are closing. And they, they do the flatline, uh, show that they put on this. I think you can get it through Epoch Times. But they examine it, but they they can see some of the problem. But they think the problem is government. I think the problem is bureaucracy. They think the problem is greedy people. But they don't want to see that they are greedy. They are the dogs of Canaan. Canaan, what is that? The merchants of men. It is the people who make their neighbors human resources so that they can eat free bread. That's the spirit of Canaan. And they're saying they don't see that. They don't see that they are the spirit of Canaan. And that they're going in the ways of Canaan. This woman saw it. She realized that she was in error. And that many of the Canaanites, we'll see the same thing with the Samaritan woman. 
And, and so faith doesn't care about the religion you think you belong to. If you want to belong to God, if you want to have the protection that the Israelites had when they got across the Red Sea, you have to, one thing, you have to walk in the ways of Moses, which is the ways of Christ, because Moses and Christ were in agreement. And then you have to go all the way across the Red Sea. (laughs) You can't go halfway. And Jesus was testing this woman. Are you going to go all the way? And she was willing to put her faith in the hands of God. And so this is, this is what they were, this is what they're showing us. And are we going to be a part of that? And so in verse 29, we see that Jesus departed from thence and came nigh unto the Sea of Galilee and went up into the mountains and sat down there. And a great multitude came unto him, having with them those that were lame, blind, dumb, maimed, and many others. And he, he cast them down at Jesus' feet, and he healed them. And cast them down at Jesus' feet, and he healed them. So somehow or other, these people are are submitting themselves to what Jesus is talking about. Just like the woman, the the Canaanite woman. And they were healed. Now, if they did not accept Jesus as the Christ, which, of course, now they don't quite know. We'll see this in the next chapter, who Jesus is. They don't, we're talking about him as Christ, and we know about the fact that he was born a king, and because Matthew's already revealed that to a lot of these people, they just know that, what he's teaching is important. And of course, what he's teaching is to live by faith, hope, and charity. The same as John was teaching. To seek a kingdom, a government of righteousness that does not covet thy neighbor's goods, but actually keeps the commandments by taking care of your parents yourself. And if you need help taking care of your parents, then you gather together with others and you wait for them to give you that help. You seek that help. But by free will offerings, because that's what, that's what Moses was doing. That's what Abraham was doing with his altars of clay and stone. That he was teaching the people how to take care of one another, not like Or, not like Haran, not like Nimrod, not like Cain, certainly not like Pharaoh, was, who was yet to come. But to take care of one another through love, through charity. The free will offerings. And so he was, he was, he's teaching this. And some people are following and coming out and submitting to this idea that, that Christ's way is the way. In so much that the multitude wondered when they saw the dumb to speak and the maim to behold and the lame to walk. And the blind to see, and they glorify God of Israel. But of course, they are getting these signs of healing and believing because of that. But the belief without signs is better. But he's giving them that sign. You know, like we've already talked, that he was not going to give them any sign but the sign of Jonah. But the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the scribes are seeing this healing going on. 
they're getting the reports of this. And they're thinking, well, how can we kill him? <laughs> you know, of course, that's just foreign to me. But in verse 32, he goes on, Then Jesus called his disciples unto him and said, I have compassion on the multitude. Because they continue with me now three days and have nothing to eat. And I will not send them away fasting, lest they faint in the way. Now this is a little bit different than what we've seen before. And his disciples say, because this is just three days, they just followed him up there where he went up. And and these this is like a spur of the moment thing. It doesn't seem to be a festival. And his disciples say unto him, Whence should we have so much bread in the, this wilderness as to fill so great a multitude? It's a large gathering. And Jesus said unto them, How many loaves have ye? And they said, Seven. And, and a few little fish. And he commanded. And we see a word there. Commanded. Kelio. Uh, which is translated command many times, most of the time, as it appears in the Bible. And, and it means to command or order something. And he commanded the multitude to sit down on the ground. And he took the seven loaves and the fishes, and he gave thanks and broke them, and gave them to his disciples and his disciples to the multitude. And they did eat they did all eat and were filled and they took up of the broken meal that was left seven basketfuls. And they that did eat were 4,000 men besides the women and children. And he sent away the multitude and took a ship and came into the coast of Magdala. And now some people will say this is where Mary Magdala comes from. And Magdala is a similar word. It's, you know, Aramaic origin. And and it means a tower. But it's an actual place in the western shores of the Lake of Galilee. And, you know, it's about three miles, kilometers from uh, south of Tiberias, what they call Tiberias. And you can look for it on a map. We kind of know where it is. But it's it's like a harbor. And so he goes down and, and and that's where he goes. But he sent the multitude away and took a ship and came unto the coast of Magda. So why is he taking the ship? Well, everybody can't take the ship. <laughs> and so the crowd, it's a way of sending the crowd because they don't want to leave. They want to keep following. And if he did make bread and fish appear out of nowhere... That's a pretty big miracle too. That's that's as good as, almost as good as, you know, the the sign of Jonah. It's not, but it's it's pretty big sign. But then again, he's teaching everybody about faith, hope, and charity. And so, still, it, it seems like this is a pretty miraculous thing, and we all are told that, you know, this these things just uh, appeared, but. Maybe people shared enough so that everybody could eat. It, they did all eat and were filled. That was satisfying. And took up the broken meat. What was left was left seven basketfuls. 
So was that actually, I mean, we're talking 4,000 men and their families. So we're talking, you know, maybe 8,000, 10,000, 15,000 people. That's a lot of people. And so I would think there would be more details about the fact that they're going out giving this food and their baskets are just filling up. If that's actually what's taking place. I would think. But you can believe what you want to believe. But there is no question that Christ is teaching us how to love one another. How to take care of one another. How to take care of our parents. Our father and our mother and our brothers and our neighbors. And we're either doing it by force. But I I do believe that if we do it according to the ways of Christ and begin to actually follow the ways of Christ and see that we have not been following the ways of Christ, that we've been preaching half a gospel in our churches. We've been saying, Lord, Lord, we know there's something special about Jesus. And, and we have great faith in the doctrines that were taught in these churches. But are we really doing what Christ said? You know, we, we review some of this. we got a little bit of time. And 16 is... There's so much depth in Matthew 16 that we'll have to devote that all at one time. But I quote the Cambridge Bible for schools and colleges. states in Matthew 15... 120, the true religion and the false. A discourse to the Pharisees, the people, and the disciples. We must learn and know, this is outside the quote, close quote, we must learn and know what was the meaning of religion. So I have an article there. You can look up religion. What was religion at that time? What was religion in America 200 years ago? Religion was defined as a pious performance of a duty to God and your fellow man. And that duty was to care about your neighbor as much as you care about yourself. That's what religion was. And of course, social welfare set up by FDR was to take care of the needy of your society. But the means and method of FDR was to force the contributions of the people. Require them by his traditions, his ordinances, his statutes. Of course, you had to sign up. But then you had to pay in. And of course that's what Herod and the Pharisees were doing. And that was making the word of God to none effect because they were no longer taking care of one another by charity, by love, by honoring your father and your mother. The government was going to take care of your family. You were just going to have to pay the government. Because you made a covenant with them. You made an agreement. You signed something somewhere along the way, probably under the penalty of perjury, that you would give to these men who exercise authority and they would take care of your parents. They would take care of the needy of society. That used to be religion. It still is religion, but it's public religion. It's not pure religion. Because you're not taking care of the needy through faith, hope, and charity. You're taking care of the needy through force. And sometimes these institutions use fear. And they almost always end up with fealty. Where you're now a human resource in that system. And they'll number you. You know, they'll number you in Australia. They'll number you in China. They'll number you wherever you go. 
And of course, Herod was numbering people too. You would get a little stone, white stone, with a Hebrew name carved on it, and the Hebrew letters had a numerical value. And that was your ID stone for your whole family. And your whole family could get the free bread that was provided to the treasury of the temple. But thieves and robbers could break into that temple. Thieves and robbers can't break into the hearts of the people. And if that's where your treasure is, and a gathering of people gathering in the name of Christ, according to the sacrifice of Christ, according to the love of Christ, with fervent charity instead of legal charity, well then, now you're gathering in the name of Christ. But that requires sacrifice. You know, but Christ didn't count your sacrifice based on, you know, like I gave $10,000. Well, if you have $200,000 or a million dollars, $10,000, that's nothing. But if you have 10 bucks and you give one of them or two of them, if you have 10 cents and you give two pennies, (laughs) Christ counts that more than the millionaire who gave 1% of his wealth. Now, in order to be a minister of Christ, you have to give it all. Exactly how that works out, that we explain that in other places. The Pharisees challenged Jesus. Now, that little statement I threw out there, uh, that has made ministers tremble. Ministers who called me up, nationally known minister called me up and wanted to chit-chat with me. And finally, we get around to that point where I point out what Christ actually requires of his disciples who were his student ministers to be an actually ordained minister of the church established by Christ. You had to meet the criteria of Christ. And he tells you what that is. But people aren't ready for that. They're barely ready to live by faith, hope, and charity. But some of you might be. Well, join the network. Start finding out what Christ was really doing. And the clock is ticking. Because we can see The handwriting is on the wall. I mean, it's in your media every night. The unrighteous mammon is about to fail. But I don't want you to seek the kingdom of God out of fear. But out of repentance. Out of love for one another. Which has been sorely neglected. The Pharisees challenged Jesus. And Jesus challenged them. Why do you also transgress the commandments? In verses 1 and 9, much evil is from ignorance. A messenger had to be sent to them to prepare you to receive the Lord. That messenger was at least John the Baptist. There were many prophets who had the same message. In in verses 1 through 6, it shows the world of Judaism had degenerated by the process of of this degeneration, the institution of legal charity was degenerating the people because they were becoming accustomed to living at the expense of others and depending for their livelihood on the property of others. And this always degenerates the people. It it first divides the flock because the bonds, the social bonds of love aren't there. And, And... They create bands with men who exercise authority and now they become surety for the debt of those men. And their children are a surety. 
Because just like Israel, when they went into bondage, their children would be born in bondage. And of course, Americans have been in bondage for almost a hundred years. And the bondage wasn't so severe, but over the years now, the taskmasters have grown greater and greater and the resources have decreased more and more. But what has really happened is you have become the resource, the human resources of a system that is contrary to the ways of Christ. You still go to churches and you praise Christ with your lips, which he talks about in this chapter. But your heart is far from him because you're not taking care of one another out of love. You're not practicing pure religion. You're, you're not practicing fervent charity. You're practicing legal charity, which is by definition a covetous practice. You're desiring benefits at the expense of others. So what were those traditions mentioned in verses 2, 3, and 6? That's what we cover. What were those ordinances? Well, we can show you those. And we have whole books that explain them in great enough detail. That, But really what you need to know is the way of Christ. Because you need to get away from that gift of Doron. The dependence upon that gift of Doron. That compelled gift. That compelled Corbin. That we see in... Uh, to support the the people, like we see in Luke 21, which is, you know, and he looked up and saw the rich men casting in their gifts into the treasury. Why? For the needy. You know, but what did he say to that? What was his response to that idea of you know, that we see in Luke 21. You know, where they're casting their gifts into the treasury. But if they're compelled to do it, it's going to have a different effect. And it's not going to have the effect of the Corbin of Christ. Barnes notes on the Bible states, it is a gift. Like we see in Mark, it is Corbin. The word Corbin is a Hebrew word denoting a gift, a sacrifice. But that sacrifice must be free will. Because without it being free will, you're not going to... Instead of creating the bonds of a free society, you're going to be creating resentment. Even the poor who receive all these gifts, they will hate the rich. They will despise the hand that feeds them. And they will want, because they're so used to force... They've instituted systems of force. They won't want to force more. They, you'll pay my student loan. Give me more benefits. You know, tax the rich out of existence. So there are no more rich. If there are no more rich, there are no more companies. If there are no more companies, there, there is no more jobs. When there are no more jobs, there is no more taxation. Without taxation, it all crumbles. Without sacrifice of free will offerings. The kingdom becomes far from you. And this is what's happened. And we are in need of repentance. All our temples are fashioned after Rome. None of them are fashioned after Christ. And we we have need of repentance. But we will go on to the next chapter in the afternoon show. Until then, go to Preparing You. Join the network. Seek the kingdom of God and His righteousness. God bless.
You have been listening to The Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. For more information on the educational ministry provided by His Holy Church and Brother Gregory, including services, counseling, lectures, books, and other audio materials, please write to His Church at Summer Lake, Box 10, Summer Lake, Oregon, 97640. You can also find us on the web at www.hisholychurch.net. Thank you.